Hey guys, Dustin Wynn, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio. Hey, this is Scott Snyder, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Paul Dini, listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Bat Force Radio, the DC Batman podcast with no limits, and we're coming at you with another episode of The Stack this week, new books for the week of Wednesday, December 20th. Let's go around the round table. Uh, we got Robin D. Cross up in Canada. Uh, boot. We got Legends Lego Batman in sunny Southern California. Oh, cheers. I am Bat Force Tom, and uh, we're going to get into a very special episode of The Stack this evening. i um, going to cover some books, Batman as well as uh, DC Metal, um, it's Metal number four, um, some other issues as well. And uh, we're going to be joined by a very special guest a little bit later, so I want to stick around. Uh, as much as I want to say it would be the Trunkler. Um, today, Trunkler is uh, celebrating his daughter's birthday, So, but you're going to be wanting to stick around because um, it is someone who is of the same caliber, if you would. So yeah, the, the next best thing. To yeah, yeah. So uh, we're just going to get on ahead and started because, um, as you guys know, if you are caught up with uh, the Batman uh, current run right now by Tom King, um, art this week was by whom? Uh, uh, Clay Man. Clay Man. And he did the last issue as well, correct? Yes, he did. Yeah. So fantastic job, uh, the last couple issues by uh, those two. And Tom King's been um, bouncing uh, here and there with different artists because it is a twice a month book. And what's pretty awesome is we were kind of talking a little bit in the individual chat, but it's definitely a huge couple of issues. You know, just the the entire world of uh, continuity is kind of changing because of what's happening. So uh, this is kind of continuing on. And a couple issues ago, um, you want to give us a little bit of a rundown about what happened and where we're at, Robin, up until this issue and what it kind of sets up? Uh, Yeah, so... uh... What we've had over the last handful of issues has been the fallout uh, of Bruce proposing to Selina, her accepting that proposal. Uh, that took us into the War of Jokes and Riddles, which was basically Bruce making a, a confession to Selina that uh, was something she needed to know before they could get married. And then after that, uh, they went to... Uh, basically confront Talia because they needed to locate Holly Robinson, uh, who Selena had taken a fall for, and she was on the run from the law, and they wanted her to, you know, not to force her to to take the fall for what she had done herself anyway, but just to appeal to her to uh, come out of hiding and fess up to what she had done so that they could have their life together. Uh, after they finished up with that, they, uh, we had that issue previously where Batman and Superman finally had to do the introduction of their ladies to each other. So we had the, the moment where Selena Kyle met Lois Lane and, uh, a 
Super Friends double date was proposed, and that's what we get this week in Batman 37. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely been a very awesome and unique kind of run in the course of uh, Batman and Catwoman's history, as well as now tying in Superman and Lois Lane. Um, basically, what I think um, Bruce and Clark feel is that they're two complete opposites, and uh, they kind of are in a situation because they're, you know, um, Justice League members and they're friends. They're in a situation where they probably realize if it wasn't for us being superheroes, we probably would never hang out. And um, over the course of last issue, uh, Tom King did an outstanding job kind of showing how both Batman and Superman are actually very similar and they have a lot more qualities in common than they do apart. And uh, it was just awesome to see the play back and forth. It's uh, almost like a really cool tennis match in comics with um, the pacing of that issue. And it pretty much kind of picks up again in this issue. And um, the concept being, like you said, Batman, Superman taking their girls on a double date, what that would be like. And the play between both Superman and Batman as well as Lois Lane and Selina is just so awesome. And like the chemistry coming off these pages is just so much fun. And... Um, I think a lot of people are just really going to love it. And, uh, man, like we've said before, Tom King is a pretty damn good Bad Cat writer. You know, if you're a fan of Bad Cat, I think that uh, you are loving every second of this run right now. Um, I think the coolest concept of this issue probably has to be that right off the bat, they try to do a double date at an amusement park. And as they're trying to get in, they didn't realize that it's uh, superhero night. And everyone who comes in is required to be in cosplayer costume. And it's hilarious because obviously, who are Batman and Superman but actual superheroes? So it's just. And then they of, have some uh, some Nolan nerd telling them that they can't come in because they're not just a superhero. <laughs> yeah, it, just the the whole play with that one with that kid and you know um, Bruce being so stern. I, I, th- I, I think I think that may have actually been a young cult of the Batman telling them that they couldn't come in. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it certainly maybe yeah def, might have been, but. Um, the thing, the thing that's great is that Batman is so chapped ass about this whole situation. Uh, even in the last issue, when it was when Selina is basically trying to get him to open up to Clark and talk to him and just bridge the gap, he was so against it, and it just continues on here. Like he's totally ha- he's there because he knows he fucking needs to be there, and if he had his way, he wouldn't be there, and none of this would be happening. But you can tell he's just like just gritting his teeth, and he's just so pissed off. Uh, but he's doing it basically for. For the love of Selena, basically. He wants yeah. her to be accepted by his friends. He wants to show that he's very serious about this commitment that he's making to her. So he's putting himself in situations that he would never put himself in, uh, including this one. So, And and we see the other side of uh, what we saw in the previous issue, where most of the last issue was Bruce talking to Selena and Clark talking to Lois. And they were both revealing to their significant other the esteem that they have for each other, mm. but things that they would never say to each other. Yeah. And we see back in this one how they go right back to their bravado that they put on to each other. Exactly. And it's it's almost immediately where the opposite kind of takes place with Selena and Lois, where Clark and Bruce are very much kind of playing roles even with each other. Lois and Selena are being almost genuinely themselves to each other. And... um. I think that was kind of a fear for both Clark and Bruce is how are our girls who are completely opposite going to, uh, you know, interact, right? Lois Lane being this like hard ass, 
you know, uh, streetwise reporter or it can more business wise. And she puts herself in street situations, but she's able to get out of them. But, you know, she's kind of this hard ass reporter. Now she's interacting with a criminal. Everyone keeps calling Selena a criminal. And Selena streetwise. Selena is the one who is, uh, you know, she knows how to survive. And um, she's very, you know, uh, harsh and kind of like uh, street and you know, no one thinks that those two will, will become friends, but as the story progresses, you kind of see the, through the interactions that they have that they're very much the ones holding up Superman and Batman, you know, and they're the, they're the ones that know them the best. And um, getting to know Selina and Lois, they start to basically become closer because of the, the common ground that they know that they hold up these two superheroes when no one else can. But uh, it's it's going to be hard doing this issue justice because Tom King has written these issues in such a way that Nothing's going to be as good as reading them. So, I mean, we'll do our best to kind of go over it, but you really have to see the images and read them to kind of get the full the full effect of it, um, especially with the pacing. But um, basically, you know, Bruce and Clark give in to the idea that, well, we have to dress up like superheroes. Well, we're superheroes, and hey, I got my costume and you got yours. Well, what if you wear you? What if I wear yours and you wear mine? And Bruce is like, nope. But that's basically what ends up happening. He, he says Bruce says no about twelve times in <laughs> <Yeah>. this issue. <laughs> yeah, and um, I mean, again, like we're not going to be able to do it justice. But the scenes where they're changing in the changing rooms, uh, the dialogue that they're having back and forth over the changing stalls. I mean, <laughs> Clay Man, Jesus, I think everyone's going to enjoy this art because uh, you're just drawing a chiseled Batman and a chiseled Superman, and a Lois and a Selina. And uh, it's pretty awesome. Clay, Clay Man is, does a great job at drawing anatomy. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, man, it's crazy. And uh, I love that he he made sure to include all the scars all over Bruce. Yeah, and bruises. And uh, also, if you look at the uh, all of the graffiti that he put in the changing room here in the, in this bathroom, there's the I was one wall. In. <laughs> yeah, in in the panel where. Uh, Lois is holding Selena's Catwoman suit. Oh yeah! In. If you look at the wall there, the, there's a piece of graffiti that says "Mr. King" and has a crown. Oh, I didn't see that. No, I see it. Good, Tom good King. catch. Awesome. But yeah, I was, I was I was trying to look through all all that graffiti and see if there was uh, anything else. And if note. you kind of look by Bruce's ass, you see T O M Tom. Tom. Me. Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, big shout out to Bat Force Tom there. Man, so so thrilled I to see that. that. Um, but yeah, you, it continues on, and at first, obviously, um, Selena has her Catwoman outfit, so Lois is able to squeeze into that. Uh, Bruce is wearing the Superman outfit, and Clark's wearing the Batman outfit. But um, Selena is just wearing the dress that Lois was wearing, and it's not really any outfit. It's not it's just a basic dress. It's not a superhero getup. So then, when she, they go up to the same kid, who goes, "Everyone has to be in costume." Sorry. And Selena just leaned in and goes, meow. And basically uh, melts the dude's heart. Probably something <laughs> else happens as far as um, <laughs> as far as what a young I man. I don't know what you mean. The way a young man may, may react to certain, certain, especially Selena Kyle leaning in and meowing in your face. So um, I mean, like, he does open his mouth when that happens. <laughs> you you have to read this and, and, and really get the full effect of it because it is amazing. Uh, but essentially, she wins his heart, and uh, he lets him in. And the next page is a, a full page of it's. This is such an amazing like image of <laughs> Bruce Wayne wearing his Superman outfit, 
the Superman outfit, Clark wearing Batman's outfit, uh, Lois wearing Catwoman's outfit, and then Selina in this skimpy little dress, and they're just like walking into the place owning it, and it's just amazing to see. I like that. One of my uh, favorite Selina is looking at the like looking at us in this in this uh, page here. One of my favorite things about this issue is the background characters seeing them in costumes, like on that first page where they're all where the four of them are walking. There's a Mr. Miracle uh, cosplayer in the back there, guy oh, wearing yeah. the cape and everything, and he's all painted up. Uh, on the next page, we have Lobo, yeah, uh, Beast Boy, uh, Raven. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot going on. There's, like a, a, there's a whole the Titans. Titans there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very cool. Yeah, and and uh, um, in the next, so basically, it then kind of just follows what they're doing at this carnival, and um, it kind of highlights their personalities a little bit. Where especially in the tunnel of love, um, it shows uh, Clark and Selena come out, and he's like, "That was nice." She's like, "Yeah, this is nice." And then it, <laughs> the next panel, Selena is sitting straddling Batman, and they're just making out on the tunnel of love. Um, so great! Oh. I laughed like a little schoolgirl when I saw this panel. <laughs> and then uh, they're playing, you know, they uh, their competitive nature takes over, and Bruce and Clark are uh, going to the batting cages, and um, just like the superheroes they are, basically, you know, the nerds that they are, they're breaking down what's wrong with the uh, batting, with the, the ball feeder, and why it's spitting things yeah. out so slow, and they're like, this is too easy. He's like, yeah, maybe they can fix this gear. Maybe you can take a look at this. And, and they're just like... And I l- I, I love that he's so in character as Clark that Superman when he's when he's his Clark Kent persona he's so into that character with the glasses thing that even while he's dressed up as Batman he's wearing <laughs> Clark sunglasses over yeah. top of the cowl. Yeah. And um they're just basically hitting dingers, man. They're hitting dingers in the batting cages and and then uh essentially um Clark basically says, "You know, I could just pitch it to you." And they start kind of playfully bantering back and forth about, like, well, you can't hit a pitch of mine. Uh, I could absolutely hit a pitch of yours. And um, basically, while they're kind of interacting, Lois and Selena are also interacting, going back and forth and uh, talking about um, essentially what what it is and who they are and, and why they've chosen the, the men that they did. And this is kind of similar to the last issue where you kind of hear what Bruce and Clark say about one another to Selena and Lois. You hear Lois say to each other what they believe about Clark and Bruce. And one of the things that I love is that, you know, Lois is like, why him? You know, why, why him? And Selena goes, he catches me when I fall. And then it cuts over to uh, Clark and Bruce and Clark's like, why her? She's a criminal. And he goes, she catches me when I fall. And it's like, damn, you know, Tom King really nailing it on the head right there as far as who these characters are and why they're together and what they mean to each other, right? Absolutely, right. yeah. Let's let's not forget about the uh, the flask that they're sharing while they're talking. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, they have a little social lubrication for their interaction. Pretty funny. Who's the one? Is it Selena's? Uh, who's I can't remember. Uh, it looks I like it Lois been... is holding the purse, but it's probably Selena's purse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would assume it's Selena's. They're enjoying a sip or two, and they're talking about their own lives and who they are. They're talking about the proposal and how Bruce did it, and uh, they're making a reference back to the war of jokes and riddles where 
you know, it goes, um, oh, yeah, and then he, so how did he do it? And it's, oh, yeah, and then he stopped me and said, wait, I have to tell you the story about Kite Man. <laughs> and basically, like, like Poor reducing the war of jokes and riddles, the, that entire huge long arc into basically what it was, was a story about Kite Man, you know? You kind of forget that that's what that story is about, you know? At the end of the story, essentially, um, Bruce, like you said, is, is telling the story to Selena about a huge fault that he has, a huge regret that he has. And it's such a big thing to him, and he builds it up, and he tells a six- or seven-issue story about it. And then after he finishes telling Selena, Selena's like, that's it? Like, mm-hmm. you're telling me a story about Kite Man? Um, they carry on into, uh, uh, basically, uh, and then what happens, basically? The question shows up, right? Yeah, the, a question cosplayer, you know, uh, cleverly using the costume uh, theme of the park to his advantage and concealing his identity, and he decides to choose the worst people to uh, to steal a purse from. Rather than freaking out, the girls just start laughing, um, knowing full well what's about to happen. Clark and Bruce decide that they're just going to take him out the way that they've kind of been playing back and forth about using this baseball. So so basically it's the four of them now talking to each other back and forth. Selena's telling Lois that she likes him because when she gets to know him, he's still so Batman because she's asking him, well, he's Batman. And like, well, he's Batman. <laughs> and, Lo- and Lois is saying that uh, she likes Clark because, you know, he's, he's Kansas. When she gets to know him, he's still Kansas. I love that uh, after the batting, the batting cage thing is done. When they both get back with their their mate, the the first thing that both of the men are talking about is still this this argument over if they could uh, if Bruce could hit Clark's pitch or not. Yeah, they're <laughs> so they're, they're both just venting to the other one. <laughs> he doesn't think I could hit his pitch. He thinks he could hit my pitch. He doesn't realize that that speed it's impossible. The ball would disintegrate, and it's not considering. It's not considered a strike. <laughs> I would yeah. I would expect Tom King to throw a joke in here from Lois from Lois or Selena telling Bruce and uh, Clark uh, why don't they just pull out a ruler? <laughs> <laughs> I think he did. and that's an issue. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's not it's not a it's not a uh, Batman issue until you saw a Dick joke uh, Dick Grayson that is, but. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's such a great issue, and uh, the way that they decide to end it is like um, basically talk, they won't let it go. They won't let this competition go about the fact that Superman can throw a ball and uh, Batman can't hit it, and then they end up at an actual park, you know, testing it out. And um, they switch costumes. Yeah, they switch back to who they really are, and um, so do uh, Selena and Lois. And I think it's just awesome, man. It's like. You know, it's it's a Batman and Catwoman story, but he's found a way to introduce, like, you know, the other two characters who have the same kind of love and connection that Batman and Catwoman do. And he's able to make them care for one another the way that you kind of care about them as characters. I don't know if that makes any sense. What a way to end it, too. I mean, if anybody's going to hit a ball by uh, Superman, it's going to be Batman. Yeah, really clever ending there. I mean, it's, it's like, like I said, we, we went through it, but... It's almost impossible to dissect something that's this simple yet so awesome, right? Because yeah. it's like the simplicity of the last couple of issues are what make this story so great. Right. And and how like subtle some of the things that Tom King's doing and the way it plays so well with the art. It's just nutty how good it's been. So 
Um, Just what, this whole recent event of issues has really been uh, putting me on the uh, Tom King train here recently with the uh, Super Friends two issues and the annual number two, as well as the um, Selena and uh, Bruce going off in the desert. Yeah, it's been, I mean, as much as you don't think that uh, you will enjoy a Batman and Catwoman story over how many issues, it doesn't get old ever. Um, he's finding new ways of kind of like opening these characters up and kind of searching for something new. And he does that with the way that they interact with Bat or with Superman and one and wow, Superman, <laughs> Superman and Lois Lane and giving you these pieces of these characters that only can be reflected back by other members of the DC universe, um, who have something similar as far as the relationship. And, um, I don't know, man, Robin, you mentioned that, uh, someone said, um, Batman Annual Number Two. If that's like the the most heartwarming, um, tear jerking, like happy or lovable story that Tom King's written, there's something coming up that's like his worst, like his his darkest. Yeah, uh, I think it was on Bleeding Cool. I was reading uh, someone there had already gotten to read issue 38 and uh, said that that could be Tom King's killing joke. Jesus. And is yeah, so it's it will just be the antithesis of the heartwarming nature of Batman annual number two. And this just can be the, the complete opposite of that. And I'm not sure how he's going to, you know, jump from the, from these last two issues to something. So, you know, whatever it might be sad or crazy or what, um, but these issues have been extremely heartwarming. Um, and like, almost like, it's like if, if war of jokes and riddles was kind of like sitting down and watching like a gangster movie and having satisfaction of like that, you know, satisfaction of watching a gangster movie play out this is kind of like going to an ice cream shop and getting like your favorite flavor and eating it and then realizing like you have room for a couple more scoops so you just... i almost i almost felt like i was reading like an archie comic <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, right? kind of had like that that old school archie feel to it yeah you're just reading it and smiling the whole time you know and it's so what's so great is like you know we, we've read a bunch of different things from tom king we've seen batman like kicking ass in gotham and you know, on a plane and, and uh, dealing with Bane and uh, all these crazy things. And then right now, it's just like we're in a we're in an area where he just wants to kind of give fans like something that's like you said, smile about, right? Or something it, normal. Let let Batman yeah. be even more relatable to us in everyday world. You know, yeah. What's next? Batman's gonna go to the bank and you know go to the ATM. <laughs> yeah, I'm down. I'm down for it. Think of the concept <laughs> of this issue. You're right. It's like they're going to the they're going to a, a county fair. And they're playing the games of the county fair, and they're you know talking crap about playing baseball and stuff like that. It's like on paper this sounds insane, and like to most people, the, you know, Tom King put this down and told you he was going to write a story about this. People would be like, Batman would never do that. But you know who would he who would he do it for? Probably the right. one you know his his the love of his life. You know, some right now would argue in the Cat Force that they're laughing and cackling and saying he would never do it for Talia. Or he would never do it for Wonder Woman, <laughs> which I'm sure is going to be the argument. But again, I got to bring in the the Twitter cat, uh, bad cat connection over there. But if you search the hashtag bad cat, it is just filled with amazingly funny, crazy people just going nuts about the current run right now and being so happy about it. And um, <laughs> it's like there's just this nutty, crazy bad cat like uh, cult following online that. They, you know, it, they're loving this because it's basically making every wish they've ever wanted canon. Um, 
And it's but pretty do cool. not bring up any other, like, do not bring up Wonder Bad or anything like that. They will claw your eyes out. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, they'll come with they'll come with receipts. They'll come with comic receipts showing uh, exactly what <laughs> issue, you know, how how much how how you're wrong, and you're only bringing in like what ifs and and fan yeah. art and all this stuff, or else world tales and all this stuff, and it's it's amazing to watch. Um, but yeah, it's um, I think that even amongst the the Bat Force, there's been a couple of guys who I think were kind of skeptical of um, Tom King's work and. It's hard to come. It's hard to follow Scott Snyder. It's hard to follow a, a team that strong and to to follow something that had been going on for so long and so beloved by so many people. Stepping into those shoes is tough. And um, say what you will of the first couple arcs, you know, I think it was Tom King maybe trying to find his feet. I enjoyed every single moment of it, um, but he definitely was playing with pacing. I think the whole time and um, playing with how he might. He, I think he was playing with what works for his Batman and um, what kind of story. What he tell you know what's quick, what's fast, what needs to be long, what needs to be short, and he's been giving us these couple little snippets of issues that are just like boom, 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 amazing, um, tight little novellas, but that also kind of fold out into the overall theme of of uh, the arc, and everything is still stitched together and leading into what's coming next, um, and that's kind of like the uh, the best part about it is we still haven't seen how everything kind of ties together. We know it. It is stitched together, but we haven't kind of like stepped back and seen the whole mural yet. Um, so looking forward to that, and especially since you're saying that like the next issue is going to be like dark. I don't know yeah. how you know. I, I don't see that coming. Flipping right over. Even yeah. even being told, I still do not know how he's going to do that. Uh, yeah. But it's going to be pretty awesome to well, see. Well, Tom King's pretty. Uh, he's pretty great at these one shots. So I got a. Uh, I got confidence in this next issue. You know, I, you know Scott Snyder's our best friend. Um, Tom King is definitely a pal. You know what I mean? And, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and and we're getting to know him, and uh, we're you know we're we're open. You know, just similar like uh, Lois, Lois and uh, Selena. You know, we're just we're opening it up. We're 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 seeing how we're feeling each other out. But we love Tom King, and um, I think I think everyone's pretty pleased at where he's gone with Batman, and can say that we hope that he stays on for as long as they'll let him. I think right. Yeah. And it's just kind of amazing that we have him writing Batman. Um, we got Murphy writing another Batman story. Uh, we got metal going on over there. It just the, you know, the scenery is pretty nice right now if you think about it. And tying in on detective. Tying in on detective. Um, uh, Marguerite Bennett doing Batwoman. Just amazing artists, amazing talent, amazing writers coming in and filling things up. How about those and Batwoman that- variants by Cho? Man, those have been amazing. Yeah, Absolutely. I love Batman's, or I'm sorry, Batwoman's aesthetic has always been awesome because like the black and the red and the, and, and, you know, the, the pale white of her skin is just a cool, con- it's a cool like contour on itself that, um, I, when J.H. Williams was doing art, it looked amazing. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Even some of the stuff seeing now is great too. Cause that, that is just a cool looking character. Well, spe- since we're speaking of uh cool looking art, uh, I want to talk really quick about Nightwing number 35 because, cool. you know, we haven't been sold to Disney yet and we do what we want. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't been reading uh, Nightwing at all, uh, issue 35 is a pretty good jumping on point. It's the first issue of a new story arc. Uh, so this is written by Sam Humphreys and the art is Bernard Chang. And it's just a really pretty issue. 
Uh, so if you want, if you want to jump into Nightwing, now's a good time to do it. So he's not in Gotham. You don't have to worry about it, what's going on with Batman or anything. This is a Nightwing living in Bloodhaven and uh, living his own life. You know, he doesn't want to live the same way that Bruce does, where being Batman encom- encompasses his whole life. Uh, Dick wants to have his his vigilante nightlife, but have like a regular job during the day, you know, so he, he, he is running his own business now, uh, during, the, during the day hours. So this issue starts up and we see this very, uh, Benicio del Toro character looking character in a casino. Uh, so he's sitting at a table and he's kind of just whispering into the ear of this woman who's on vacation and, uh, doing some gambling and you, sort of see where he plants this idea in her head that, you know, she's not just there to to have a, a fun vacation with her friends. She wants to make her friends afraid of her. So by the time he finishes whispering things to her, he has handed her a knife under the table and she puts it through the hand of the dealer. And then he holds the dealer in place while she cuts his throat. So then uh, after that, we cut over to, you know, Nightwing's doing his regular vigilante thing, you know, takes out uh, this car full of criminals. And uh, we see him uh, in a, this sort of tense but improving relationship that he has with this almost Bloodhaven's answer to Commissioner Gordon. So he has, you know, a, a slowly improving relationship with her. And uh, so she shares information with him, blah, blah, blah. They work together. Uh, one thing that uh, might turn a couple heads, we get uh, a scene after this. So Dick has finished with his night of crime fighting and gets back to to the place where he's living. So he's bought this place where he has a uh, basically a CrossFit training center in the front of the building. And then in the back of the building is sort of his lair, you know, where he's he's got all all his own thing going on. But what we see here is Dick showing up uh, at home after a long night and he gets uh, into an ice bath. And they give us a, a little shot of the fabled Nightwing butt. Ooh. You I mean, that's already won me over. I'm reading it. There you go. Yeah, you're you're right on top of it. So literally, I want to be so, on top of it. Uh, I bet you do. <laughs> so then we uh, we cut back to um, Nightwing doing his day job thing, uh, training some new customers into the that are at his gym. But while he's doing that, you see his communicator going off in the back. So his his police contact is contacting them, contacting him to say. You know, there's something going on. I, I, I need you. So we cut to him, you know, having gotten this information from her now. And he starts uh, looking into this case because this murder has happened. This very surprising murder has taken place at a casino. And a memento was left on the scene of the crime that reminds him of a case that he had been following for years. So there is a casino chip, not from that casino, was left on the scene. So then we see him having flashbacks to when he was Robin. Uh, he was on a case with Batman, and one of these casino chips was left on the scene of a crime. 
And then years later, when he was in university, there was a casino chip left on the scene of a crime. And he was never able to track this guy down. So uh, we see him on the roof of the police department, speaking with his contact there. And she starts, they're talking about, uh, about the details they do know of this case. And without her even saying it, he says, you know, there was, there was a chip left at, at the at this crime scene that was not from that casino. And she says, what do you know? What aren't you telling me? Mm-hmm. And then there's a very, uh, a very sudden turn in her where, you know, he, he gives her some instructions on how he wants her to, to follow the case to, to help him find things. And he goes off about to leap off the roof and she calls him. She just says Nightwing. And he turns to look at her and she's got her gun pointed right at him as he's at the edge of the roof. So the final page is the final frames are she fires and we see him falling off the edge of the roof as a bullet hits him. And that's how it ends? Yeah, that's how it, the, the issue ends. It, uh, we get the setup of this case that he's been chasing for years, uh, resurfacing now while he's back in Bloodhaven. And then his police contact uh, shooting him off the roof of the building. Jesus. Nightwing's been a pretty solid series. I'm I'm a few issues back behind myself, but I've been reading. Uh, I've been trying to keep up on it. It's been really good. Yes, a, a good <laughs> jumping on point, or if you've fallen behind, uh, as Legends has, a good time to jump back on. And that brings us to what is really the main event book of, of this week's issues, and that is Metal, Dark Knight's Metal, issue four. And who better to help take us through this issue than the maestro of the the whole run, Mr. Scott Snyder himself. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. I always enjoy this, so I appreciate it. I don't want to, I don't want <clears throat> to uh, take up too much of your time, but it's a, always a pleasure to talk. Scott, you can take up as much time of us as you want, man. We were <laughs> actually last week. We also said you know, um, we've we've come to call you uh, our best friend, Scott Snyder. So every time every time you referred to on this show, it's it's with oh you know our best friend Scott Snyder blah blah blah. <laughs> well, so, the team loves you guys, so oh, yeah. Man. And uh, apologies to anyone listening for uh, I was telling the guys right before I got on, but I was super sick. I caught whatever that is going around this week, and I I rarely get sick, but I was so laid low, and then um, I got over it, and then my kids caught it, so I uh, they might wake up at any minute and start projectile vomiting. So very not very Batman, well, but <laughs> could but, be but it great, is pretty metal. Yeah, it's pretty metal. Yes. Yeah, let's uh, let's dive into it here. So uh, the issue you began this with sort of. Uh, like a an almost biblical uh, telling of of what was going on with each of the characters. So uh, yeah, you you can explain this better than I can here. Yeah, well, this is the issue we've been waiting to get to since we started the whole event because it it not only sort of brings Dream back in, um, you know, uh, Daniel Sandman, um, but it kind of explains I think the the core the core sort of ideas behind the whole behind the whole uh, storyline. You know, Batman Lost was kind of, you really see what Bruce has, is going through and how kind of deeply, um, deeply shattered he's, he's being over this nightmare that he has to live through over and over and over different permutations down in the Dark Multiverse, where it sort of, it gives you the scope of, of what the Dark Multiverse means for the DCU itself. 
you know, how it figures in, um, in terms of the creation myth of the DCU, all that stuff. So, um, we wanted it to have this kind of a slightly different feel than some of the other issues where we wanted it to feel a little bit more, uh, grand, a little bit darker in places. You know, so it was a really interesting issue to write because, you know, I'm so used to metal also being, um, sort of brazenly over the top and fun. And there's certainly places in this that I got to do that, but I also, I, I love this one the most so far because it has um, the full range, I think, of things in the event where it has some of the the most um, heartfelt stuff between Bruce and Clark. And then it has some of the sort of most jump the shark, batshit crazy stuff with Starro. And then it has, um, you know, the biggest, grandest kind of magisterial, um, uh, you know, uh, myth-making of the DCU with uh, with Dream. So it kind of gives, for me, it was like the most elastic issue I've, I've written for it, where it lets me sort of flex all different kinds of muscles. So I really love this one. I'm really, uh, I'm ha- and five gets crazier, and then six, I just finished six, and it's like, Riding Joker dragons and Plastic Man freakouts and kaiju fights. It's, it really is like a kid in the bath, like smashing toys together. It's like my favorite thing. <laughs> so, well, this issue starts off with Batman being uh, taken from the the battery, and he's he's met by these two alternate, uh, three alternate versions of Superman. And this part's really cool because he brought in a few things from the past here. There's a Superman in Lex's armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the blue Superman from the 90s yeah. and then what I believe has to be that Superman wearing Batman's armor from Dark Knight Returns yeah pretty much yeah yeah so it's almost like these are kind of Batman wakes up and finds himself surrounded by Superman's worst nightmares about himself his biggest fears impossible versions of Clark so you know, one is almost what if he what if he uh, winds up sort of fused to Lex Luthor or, or becomes sort of Lex Luthor's proxy. The other is just uh, what if he um, finally has it out with Bruce, does him in, and sort of takes on the mantle of Batman. Um, and the other is just Electric Blue Superman <laughs> because you're just <laughs> throwing a little bit of fun shade. I loved, I actually loved Electric Blue Superman because it was, you know, Grant's JLA run began with that. And I loved how he used him as this kind of energy conduit. But, you know, I thought about putting Mullet Superman in there instead. And I was like, no, I, I, that would be too, too obvious. So I, I just started, Electric Blue has a cool, cool visual. So yeah, you put him in there as a nod to the nineties and he looks pretty like ride the lightning badass anyway. So nice. all right. I love also that, um, he kind of reveals in that situation, you know, he's being, uh, confronted by the, the nightmare Superman and they're making it seem as if, you know, he's about to fall victim to their exact plan they wanted. And, out he whips his um, five finger death punch gauntlet, which is an awesome nod to the band itself, right? Yeah, it's Greg's. Greg's like literally in his one of his three favorite bands, so awesome. it was a nod for Greg. <laughs> and he's also done um, multiple covers for them, I think, too, right? That's right. Yeah, he, they're literally. I mean, I love them too now, but they're they're literally like Greg's. You know, like pretty much it's like Black Label Society, Five Finger Death Punch, yeah. Ozzy. So. He talks about him and Zoltan and Jeremy all that stuff, so I'd be really excited to 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 see that happen. Yeah, it's cool. And actually, Tommy's on tour with them right now, so it's like five fingers. Oh, yeah. They're I think he, they're in Europe right now, and uh, he's coming on. He was their backup when the uh, original singer wasn't on, but then I think Ivan Moody, 
And so because he did, I guess, such a great job, obviously, in the last one, they're like, let's just bring him out and we'll have two singers on this tour. So it's really cool what's going on with them right now. That's but, awesome. Yeah, and it's, I think, you know, not to cut into the issue too much, but this is, I think, why I love all this stuff so much is because I'm a huge metalhead, too. So when you first told us um, almost like a year ago about what you were doing, I was freaking out. And it's so awesome to see, like, the interactive aspects of, I think this is going to be the first issue since you've made the new, you've, you added on to the playlist on Spotify. Yeah. But I think what's awesome is that this is not just, like, one part of, this is not just one medium where we get to enjoy, like, the stories. You're taking it outside of it, and you're making a Spotify playlist. You're showing us what you were listening to, like, when you were inspired, what you're listening to, when you want to read it. And uh, it's perfect. You know, it's really cool. Thanks, to see dude. That. that means a lot. You know, we really we've been having a blast having it be something that's really robust for us. You know, I got asked the other day why, why, why metal? And I was like, well, it's metal and this. And they were like, yeah, but why metal? And I was like, the truth is, like, you know, um, you know, I, I'm I'm always like a like a, a rock fan, you know, not mm-hmm. as much metal as Greg until I met Greg and that stuff. Um, but you know, we always, he always used that expression when we were on Batman too, where he was like, you know, when I was nervous or anxious about God, you know, how are they going to react to this Joker with his face off and all this <laughs> stuff? He'd be like, dude, it's time to go on stage. It's time to rock, you know, be metal and that stuff. But he always, he always would say that stuff. So it's a spirit also to me in that sense of, um, that feeling of, you know, you're going to go out there and thrash and you're going to go out there and just give it your all and leave everything on the, on the stage. And, for me too, it's just it has that also that theatrical quality sometimes that big over the top sort of pyro you know or that doom all of it so uh, there's so much that he's introduced me to and that I found on my own that I love about it both the music and just the whole kind of energy of it that mm. it feels right and so being able to like we went out to Torpedo Comics a couple weeks ago yes. and hung out with System of Down which yeah. is like I know and Serge was like what and then. Uh, we're doing this soundtrack with the producer, this guy, Tyler Bates, and he's bringing in all these people Greg recommended. I can't say because it's not, they haven't publicly announced who it is yet, but it's like, they, he just was like, who do you want to be on this album? And Greg gave him a few people and he's like, oh, I know them. I was like, wow. what? So it's cool. It's like they're making all these superhero and supervillain songs. And uh, it, it's been such a fun experience just because it's, we really, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's interactive the way you said, but it's also so much, it's so much, it's it's meant so much to be sort of a welcome thing where it's like, look, you know, you don't have to be some big metalhead. You don't have to be, you know, into the exact same things we are. We want it to be something that feels like if you don't know anything about comics or if you have a very particular view of comics or whatever it is, you can come in and enjoy it just like a giant concert and just enjoy the fun of it or the you know darkness of it or the emotion of it like they're we hope it's multifaceted enough like the music and the feeling itself that it invites everybody in you know so it's been okay look and greg is you know my best friend so it's it's a blast because i get to talk shit with him all the time now so and he's like he likes band we each like like he he there are bands that he likes that would surprise you like Green Day and stuff like that and things from like really because I you know I, my kids love Green Day I like Green Day fine but he's like yeah man you know whatever and I'm like what about like Gojira and whatever and we go back and forth he's mm. he's you know he's he's straight up like and classic in a big way so oh, yeah. and I like I like trying to find more also more experimental thing and then Becky. Becky Cloonan is always honest about like oh, more God. Viking death metal. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's like, she's, I'm an Armor, all that. Like, yeah, 
we we talked about her too. It's awesome because she's done actual like posters for tours for bands, and uh, she's done like black metal band posters and death metal band posters and stuff. So she's really into like the heavy and fast stuff, which is cool. But yeah, and, and Greg I think leans a little bit more towards the classic as well, and even some of the newer stuff, kind of having a classic rock kind of sound to it. And I think um, what's interesting, especially what's so cool about it, is that's what I what's the feeling I get, especially this issue specifically. Issue four with all these characters that you re kind of like, you know, like you said, this is the everything was the setup. This is kind of like the heart of the story. And Mm -hmm. these characters are rushing to their destinations. And right now it's almost feeling like you're kind of folding it all together and kind of flushing it out a little bit. And um, yeah, 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 that's what we're going for. I mean, this is, you know, I wish we had nine issues for this thing, um, but it was important to me to do it with just Greg, um, aside for the interstitial stuff like Lost and um, and uh, Wild Hunt, which is so crazy, dude. We just finished it. Like, um, it's being drawn now, but like, I went back and forth with Grant with it, and it was like the best experience ever. That dude. I mean, because we're friends, and we've I've spoken to him multiple times over the years, but I've never collaborated with him and gotten to get on the phone and talk to him for hours, and it was like. It was amazing, dude. It was. It really was like he he was so generous and open, and he he was explaining to me like the, what each piece that he had created meant to him, and you know how certain things were about you know inspiration, certain things were about depression, certain things were like ancient Talmudic ideas yeah. about the overvoid and all this stuff. And so I told him what I had planned post metal and the hooks at the end and what I'm thinking of doing after it for DC, all this kind of stuff, and. It was great, dude. It was it was so fun, and, and Wild Hunt is like, it's literally like like I wrote the outline for it, and then I asked him. I saw him in New York, and it, it, it you know I would hoped that he would want to collaborate, but I hadn't really. I was like, you know what? He's so busy, he's got happy. Then I saw him, and I was like, listen, dude, I wrote this outline. Do you want to you want to co-write it with me and just do that? And he was like, why not? I was like, holy shit. <laughs> so I mean, it was like that. It really was like that. You know, it was, and you know, Neil was amazing. And, you know, I, I've talked to Frank Miller a bunch about some of the stuff so that we get to lead into some of the Dark Knight mythos stuff. And it's just like this, like using the Superman kind of like, you know, it's just been so great. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this this one for me, um, getting to uh, getting to sort of uh, get past the setup and really get to the sort of missions the characters are on and and move the pieces around more um, thoroughly. It's it's a joy. And. Then where they wind up, like what Aquaman finds with Deathstroke at, beneath Atlantis in the center of the Earth. Well, I, I guess I, they, you don't know that's where they're going yet, but that's where they're going. Um, and then um, what they find out about the the um, why the Owens didn't tell Hal about Thanagar Prime, and similarly what um, Kendra finds out and Wonder Woman finds out about. Um, the future of magic and all of this stuff because of what's going on at the uh, Rock of Eternity, all that stuff happens. It plays out in metal, but it also plays out afterwards. So metal ends and will be really self-contained in a way that I don't want you to feel like you got cliff hung into another, you know, event and stuff mm. that said, so you'll get like a lot of closure on the big pieces and that stuff. But, you know, it also has huge story engine hooks that go into other books and into the stuff I'm going to do post this as well. So a lot of this stuff is kicking big mystery down for, um, for later because what metal is really about at the end of the day, I've said it before to you guys, but it's about those moments where you try something new and then you fail 
and then you feel like suddenly you're, you find yourself in a place that uh, all you see are the worst versions of yourself on all sides. And all you see is paths back to the dark where you feel like no matter what you do, this is the beginning of the end and there's no way around it. Cause you've seen how ugly you are, how failed and flawed you are and all of that. So you're never going to try anything else again. You're just going to stay in bed or, you know, vanish. And, um, for me, uh, this, the idea that each character goes on a mission like this, like each team goes on a mission and then discovers something surprising and scary about their own mythology within sort of material they thought they knew, like Aquaman thinks he knows the history of Atlantis. Wonder Woman thinks she knows, you know, uh, the sort of nature of, of magic and mythology pertaining mm -hmm. to the Greek pantheon. And, you know, uh, Hal certainly thinks that he has the trust of the Owens and that he knows his own sector and he knows, uh, he knows, you know, regional space well enough. But all of them start to discover that, you know, once they go outside their comfort zone, there are mysteries there that are bigger and more frightening than they thought. And so at the end of the event, even if you don't get answers to every one of those things, the idea – and you get answers to a lot. But the idea is that, um, you know, they're facing what Batman Who Laughs will say is always what you face um, in issue five. He says – He's sort of like every time you venture out of your comfort zone, you're going to be faced with the fact that you're smaller than you thought. The things you're up against are going to challenge you worse than you thought. And the real response, the one that you should feel is it's not worth it. You go back and you, you go where it's comfortable and you rule over that thing and you're, you're a predator there. You do not, you know, there's no good to exploring and doing this stuff. So I love the idea that we're moving them to these places that we've planned and, and that they all sort of discover things that have to do with their own history, their own uh, sort of allies, their own mythology, and those things are are new and surprising to them, you know, and then we'll play out the story, both in metal and after metal. That's amazing. Another thing, like, as you're, as you're talking about that, you know, and seeing, kind of being submerged in a world where you're seeing the worst parts of yourself and all these different things that are being added to kind of the histories of these characters that they thought they knew their worlds, but in reality, it's kind of being flipped against them and they're seeing things they never have. Another thing that we kind of talked about is when you kind of first pitched metal, um, <clears throat> a lot of what you mentioned was it's going to be big, loud, bombastic. It's going to be a rock opera, right? And, and a lot of fun aspects of Batman that, like you said, maybe getting out of your comfort zone. And Batman's serious, Batman's doom and gloom, but he's also can be bright and fun, which we, we got a lot of it. Something that I think a lot of us didn't see coming was how scary some of these uh, issues and how scary some of these themes are. And one thing that, like, this issue I got from is Batman has had that fear and known that fear and by seeing and knowing a little bit more than everyone else. But like you're saying, you know, the true thing is kind of getting revealed to every character now. So even they're feeling this fear that they didn't have before, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he doesn't stop and look around at the ways he can fail. He just prepares to win, and that's it. And yeah. so, you know, when, you, when you're depressed or when you, I think, you know, at bad moments in your life, regardless of you, you know, suffer that particularly is you look around, all you see are the ways you're going to fail. And so it's almost like, you know, someone is holding Batman's face so that he has to look at these things in the dark over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And when he sees them, he sees not only that they're possible and almost likely in, in so many scenarios that he avoids, but that, um, uh, everybody else is aware of them too. <laughs> yeah. Meaning, 
yeah, like everyone else knows he's somebody who they have, I think they have total faith as friends that he'll never, he'll never, you know, falter. He's the most determined, most heroic, most, you know, badass guy out there. But the potential for him to also become the scariest, worst villain ever, I think everybody's aware of that. I mean, he's aware of that in the way that he has preparations for everybody else. You know, he has the Tower of Babel boxes and all that stuff and, and you know, scenarios to take down Wonder Woman, Superman in case something happens to them, right? Mm-hmm. How could he not think that they would have them for him or at least consider that it's possible that it could happen to him somehow? So, but he he doesn't, you know, he doesn't he doesn't think about that stuff. I think he thinks maybe someone will take over my mind, but he'll put an implant in himself, like he's you know, yeah. and he might give something to Clark or Diana to help. But I'm saying he doesn't really think about it, and yeah. so yeah, it's it's meant to be that kind of thing that really really uh, hurts. You know, we want it to we want the story to be deeply emotional, you know, and it's 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 obviously. Um, sort of wrapped in this kind of explosive shell of, of, you know, pyro crazy comic book lunacy. But the reason for that is also that it's, it's in a lot of ways, like, you know, when I was asked to do an event with Craig, my first thing was, you know, all right, well, we're going to call it metal. It's going to be fun, this and this and this. But, you know, I went back and I did all this research. I, one of the reasons I had such a good time doing All-Star and the reason I couldn't do a double ship and stay on Batman or even do Detective um, was because I felt like I needed to do research for metal and really prepare and make it something special. So I wound up spending a lot of time in addition to doing All-Star. Um, and you can see I think All-Star was a book where I tried to look at Batman from really different angles. And that first arc in particular that was really wild and the last arc, the pirate arc, you know, I'm trying to sort of get in the mode of approaching the character from angles that are funny and bombastic and nutty and all of that, but still emotional, you know, at times. So keeping him out of Gotham, all that. So I'm kind of, it's almost like training ground for metal. And then meanwhile, I was reading a ton of events. I read every event, you know, you can name from DC and Marvel since I was a kid to now from, you know, Secret Wars, Crisis on Infinite Earths, Infinite Crisis, uh, you know, to fear itself, to just everything, Blackest Night, like, and one of the things that I discovered was, like, you know, I was thinking I'd go in there and make this dark event, it would be, you know, dark, they wanted it to be, like, dark crisis, that kind of thing, and the more I read these events, the more I realized the ones that I had loved the most, Infinity Gauntlet and uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, they weren't dark. I mean, they were dark and they had huge sort of, you know, shattering consequences, but they were fucking ludicrous also where they're like, they're like so bananas, you know, and they're so joyfully crazy in that comic book way where it's like, you do not know me, but my name is Harbinger and I am forced to witness the end of worlds or, (laughs) you know, yes, my name is Thanos and I am courting Madame Death on a floating asteroid where, I mean, it's crazy. It's totally crazy. And I started to get in this mode where I was like, you know what? That's what's missing, like from from events or from, I haven't tried that. And that's what I loved as a kid. And it's true to the stuff we were talking about earlier, where as a kid, you know, I, um, I wasn't a miserable kid, but I went through periods. I mean, I was a you know, I was a nervous kid. I was a Dungeons and Dragons, a comic book playing heavy kid. I was, you know, I was not confident. 
I had a lot of a lot of you know a lot of uh, doubts, mm. and in my worst times, the things that made me feel better about myself were those stories that were so cosmic and crazy and took me out of my own life, and without me realizing it, were actually about many of the things that I was scared about at that time that made me brave in the face of challenges that. You know, um, I might not read explicitly into the pages, but then would realize after um, were about the very sorts of situations that I was finding myself in, you know, with with people that were bullying and, you know, you're reading a book about somebody that's an underdog and you don't put it together. So what I'm trying to say is um, metal is largely about that stuff. It's about, you know, trying to do an event that's almost packed to the gills with crazy and fun um, because the things that helped me, especially as a kid, and even now through darker times, have been those kinds of stories that feel like they're transportive. And while people might think at first glance they're escapists, the ones that stay with you aren't because they touch on deep emotions and resonant feelings that I think make them enduring. You know, otherwise you wouldn't go back to them at all. Absolutely. So that's that's kind of what I'm going for here, and why it's so kind of bonkers. You know, in some ways, and, and, and then serious in others. And in your go at it, you got to do something that uh, few writers get to do. Uh, you got to bring in Dream into your story. And uh, we finally get to see him come back here uh, as Batman pulls his Superman off of the battery and uh, fights off the other Superman. You know, for his, he's going to try to fight them off for as long as he can, but he's yeah. not going to be able to, to fight them forever. So he finally remembers back to what you know, what felt like years ago, decades ago. And uh, he remembers that oh, this, this is where I was supposed to call for, for Dream's help. Right. So he does call to him and, and Dream shows up and, uh, and then things yeah. uh, take a whole other turn from there. Yeah, that scene was, you know, that was one of the first things that I conceived in the whole event. And I wanted them old. You know, I wasn't sure if DC would go for it, but I wanted Batman and Superman both, you know, aged in, aged up, because they, it feels like they've both been there a long time, you know, even if it's only been moments to the regular multiverse. Um, and I had this image in my head, a dream meeting with these two old characters, you know, Superman and Batman. And Superman and Batman, or Batman in particular, being like, why? Like, why do you let this happen? You know, and dream explaining not only um, the limitations of his, his power, but also the the grandeur of the or the the epic sort of danger that they're they're in because of what Barbatos threatens with the dreaming and the importance of the dreaming the importance of the mythology around Sandman all of it so you know this is the this really is like the scene that I've been building towards since I kind of conceived of the event so it was it was such an honor to get to do it and to to have Neil's blessing and all of that stuff and he couldn't be more again, generous with, with the character. I mean, I was so nervous when I asked him about it, too. And, I, I mean, again, I've hung out with him a few times. I know him well enough to email him and feel comfortable with it. But still, to ask him to get to use, you know, Dream is really, uh, <laughs> really nerve-wracking. So it's been an incredible experience. So I, I really, I loved writing him. James Tynan helped me a bit with it, too, just because he's such a fan, too, that he, he checked everything I wrote, too, just to be like, I was like, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm getting the voice right, right? Because I love it too. But, you know, yeah, I, just, I was like, you know, you're you're as big a fan as me, or big, you know, as big as they come. Like, tell me if I'm hitting the right tone. So he was great with it. When when you mentioned um, a little bit about 
your upbringing and how that influenced the story overall. Do you ever look back at what you've been able to accomplish with the character Batman and look and see where you've come till now and realize, like, holy shit, <laughs> how did I get here? Oh, it feels that way every day, dude. I mean, honestly, I know it sounds hokey, but, I mean, I I never thought I'd get to write, you know, Batman, Batman series ever. And I just, I lucked into the job through Detective where I didn't think I'd get to write Detective. I thought I would just write the backups, you know, for a while and then get asked to leave. <laughs> and then, um, so this ride has just been nonstop, you know, and getting paired with Greg and then having this long run, just the two of us, you know, it was really unique and special um, for us. I mean, and it's it's so different than what normally happens. And it's so interesting to watch Tom um, now sort of do really amazing things with the character in a completely different format where he works with so many different artists because it's double ship um, and he has a different kind of breadth. And so to watch him find his groove this year and really um, dig into the emotional material with Catwoman and Duty's really resonant issues. It's so interesting, dude, because it's mm-hmm. it's so it's just such a different experience, and I'm so proud of him, and so excited for him, and love the book now, and all of that stuff too. And I, I mean, I've always loved the book and loved what he was doing, but I think he's really hit his stride, especially now. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Which he says too. I mean, he says it on Twitter, so I'm not. That's Agreed. not me. <laughs> you know, that's not me. Like like. Uh, you know, um, out in the woods, but, um, so it's just, it's, it's interesting because it also makes me reflect on how unique my experience was where it was with one artist, one team monthly trying to keep that book, you know, as high as it could be creatively sales wise all the time. It was different. It was sort of a different math. And, um, it was the best ride, dude. I, I love it. I'd Absolutely. do it again in a second, you know? So It seems like so long ago now, uh, remembering the stories of when the New 52 was going to start and remembering the stories of when they had selected Greg to be your artist for Batman, but they weren't telling you who it was, but they kept preparing you oh, because, God. you know, yeah. this, guy, this guy's going to be difficult to work with. And, but, but now you guys have done so much since then. And, Oh yeah, man. He's my, we, we text bullshit to each other all day long every day. He's, he's like my best, you know, I'm, we're, he's my best friend. Like he, you know, we don't have any secrets from each other and he'll be my partner for life. So we have plans. My real, my real hope also is that he and I get to do some creator own stuff soon because I think, um, what I would love to do is just, I know, I know, you know, we talk about Swamp Thing and Wonder Woman. There's a lot of possibilities and I really think we'll get to hit them all at one point or another. Cause again, He's we're he's my my partner for life. Um, but that said, uh, for me, we've always worked under this rubric of of the grind and the, you know editorial and and mm-hmm. they're very kind to us. Like it's never a problem, but it's still just a certain format. And yeah. when you work when you work and create your own, you can put three four issues together at your own pace before you put them out. You can you know you you can add pages if you want. There's just a whole different elasticity to it. So the idea that we could do something and own it together as 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 friends, I really hope we do one day. So that's that's I have an idea for something that's almost like a not nineties throwback, but I think my feeling is almost like one of the things that we don't have in indie stuff right now quite as much. And coming from a guy who does the stuff that I think is 
you know, is um, there's there's a lot of good horror right now. There's a lot of good sci-fi, a lot of good. And, I, you know, I'm going back. I'm doing Witches with Jock, not just in Image Plus, but we're working on our second arc now. So that'll start up in, in spring, summer. Um, but there isn't a lot of, like, giant, over-the-top, crazy 90s spirit rock out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Spawn, like, three-panel pages, crazy art monster series mm. that are just, like, buzzsaw to your face series. Nice. I have an idea for I have an idea for one I'd love to do one time. So we talk about it week in and week out. How you know with these books that we're getting with Tom on Batman and um, Tynion doing uh, his thing on Detective, mm-hmm. um, and then Super Sons and also uh, the Super, Superman Super Sons Action Comics Detective. Obviously, your stuff. It's all just so great right now. So we are super spoiled to have who we have right now in DC. And then on top of all that, once we heard. Um, the announcement about uh, Brian Michael Bendis, we were like, whoa, they're <laughs> taking, you guys are like the Disney of comics right now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, everything. Right. Say, like, and this is all back, you know, on the record or whatever, but his, his, his ideas and what he has coming is just great. It's You're going to love it. It's bold. It's yeah. good. It's like, He's going for it. I was like, that's great, dude. You're coming in and making noise. Let's Swing. do it. You know, that kind of brings me to the, uh, another question is when you, um, came in, you know, you, you started Batman number one, you were freaked out about it, you were scared, you didn't know if you can handle the pressure of it, knowing that you were going to open a number one Batman issue, right, with the story that you had, I guess, already pitched at the time, and co- coming from that place now, then pitching Metal, and I think you had some resistance, you said you and Greg really had to fight for everything that was in there, we did now, that you're on, yeah. on, now that you're on the other side of it, it's blown the fuck up. And we're not down. I mean, we're not blowing that up. That is exactly what has happened. I mean, it's sold out everywhere. If you're not on a pull list, you got to get on a pull list because if you try to walk into a comic shop and you ask for metal, the main title, or any of the tie-ins, almost always they're all sold out. So coming from you, kind of having this, you know, apprehension about the things you're pitching, and then coming to everything that you've kind of pitched that you thought was fucking crazy has been so well received. Where do you feel like you're at now? Like, how do you feel? Well, I feel, I mean, it never, I'll say this, like it never goes away in terms of worrying that you're jumping all 10 sharks, like at once with each idea. But the thing, like, for example, like the thing I want I'm doing after, um, metal, you know, again, taking a risk, I want to do something different than you've seen from me before. Um, I want it to be really special. I hope it's the best thing I've done. And, you know, you, if I just I, one of the things that really helps me, I think, is teaching. I still do the um, the talent development workshop for DC, and then uh, try and bring some of those people in through books like The Signal and, and Challengers and stuff. But you know, I go in there and you say constantly, you're like, if if you're if you're not trying to write the best thing you can each time or something that's better than anything you've done, it's not worth it. You know, because um, there's somebody behind you in line that would kill you for that job. You know what I mean? So you, you you have to just be like, this is no matter what going to be the best thing I've done. And I have to figure out a way to do that. Um, so again, it sounds corny, but, um, it, the nervousness doesn't go away, but the, um, I, I do feel right now, I hope, I hope, um, you know, I'm still, I hope I haven't peaked yet. That's what I, that's what my goal is to be like. I haven't peaked yet just cause I feel like I've learned so much from metal and all-star and, you know, how to have fun on the page, but still keep it emotional and how you can 
have an issue that goes from the darkest places to the funniest in the same one, you know, the same 20 ish, 20 page span. So Mm -hmm. the things that I have planned next, you know, are, are bigger, you know, broader. Um, I hope I, you know, I just hope this will be my best year, um, creatively, you know, coming up because I I have a lot of stuff that, um, I'm super excited about and the people I'm working with, I couldn't be more thrilled, uh, over, but at the same time, you're always terrified, you know, I hope Mm -hmm. I, I told, I think I said this to you, but it was like Neil, I was sitting with Neil Gaiman at a dinner a couple of years ago and, um, it was a vertigo thing and I didn't know him very well at all, you know, but he was like, he could tell that I was really anxious about stuff. Cause I was, I don't remember if I was talking to somebody right before or whatever, but he was like, what's the matter? And I was like, Oh, I'm really nervous about this Batman stuff. And you know, I'm starting a new arc. And what if this is the one that goes off the, you know? And he was like, Oh Scott, he was like, right now you're worried. You're not good enough. Then very soon you'll just be worried. You used to be better. I was like, Oh, okay. That was, it just summed it up where I was like, all right. So the, the fear of the fear of being, you know, terrible at this never goes away and I'm starting a new project, but the the flip side of that is I think the the subtext of what he's saying is you worry like that because you still it's a good sign because you still care about the stuff you're doing and you want to make sure that it's um, comparable to your best work so you know so I hope yeah yeah I think I think you know what what I mean from a fan's perspective who loves your work I think what kind of keeps you like in our hearts is basically you're the kind of guy that's never going to write something that doesn't mean something to you. So knowing, yeah, knowing that it, it means something to you and, and something that, that you try to do is Bat, or actually Batman is kind of that way himself is he is the most relatable superhero because he's human and he has his flaws and he has his shortcomings. He has his fears, he has his worries. So people relate to that. And then when you add on a writer who's writing from a place of meaning, like personal meaning, it just opens up this new connection to the character. And I don't think there's been <clears throat> a moment when you've written something that didn't mean something. So I think that's the stuff no, that lasts, you know. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, that's that's like the first thing I try and I try and make the students in the class do. And then I feel like a hypocrite if I don't try and do myself. But mm. you say like what you, something catches your eye or something is, you know, stuck in your head as a story point or a, a seed of a story. And then. For me, the next move, the thing I was taught to do and that I, or at least that I wound up making my process was trying to figure out why is that thing so haunting or inspiring or what is it, what is it hitting? Like what nerve is it hitting? Mm. And then how do I construct a story that allows me to dig into that as harshly as possible? Mm -hmm. So it's that, that's, it's sort of built into the design of how I try and approach, approach it, you know? Um, And then it's funny because I talked to Tom and, and you know, again, he's become one of my closest friends, uh, in the last few years. And we were staying in this like complete shitbag hotel in, um, New York. We, we had like a, a mini holiday dinner with DC and it was like everybody on the East coast. And, uh, I, I don't know what was in town, but I couldn't get it. We couldn't get a hotel. And so I found this hotel. It was across from Penn station and it was like totally, Tom was like, this reminds me of the hotel I stayed at in Afghanistan. (laughs) And it looked like the shining. It was, it was super creepy. Um, but anyway, uh, we were talking there and, uh, I remember I was talking to him and his process is the reverse of mine where he, if he knows where he's, he knows what, well, it's not the reverse. He knows what it's about the same way I do. 
but I need to know the ending and what my feelings on it are. And he discovers his feelings as he goes. He, he likes to not know the ending. So it's really interesting. But the thing I'd say is like, that's why I'm liking his stuff so much right now too, is that he found a way to, to write about the things that I think you find thematically and emotionally in his best work in Batman, which is a really hard thing to do because the character is so relatable in so many ways, but to own the character is intimidating because he's been in so many great stories and to find a way in and make him vulnerable the way that you feel vulnerable to your own anxieties and hopes and all that stuff is, is scary because you worry you're going to be making him something weaker or you're going to be making him something too strong in some ways and are people not going to like it? Or they, so the, the, the fact that he's found a way to do that with these, you know, the, the real sort of human um, fallibility of him, I think, right now has been just terrific. So, Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's awesome to have him be able to kind of uh, take up the mantle as you would of that book. But um, another thing that we kind of, you know, this issue comes out, number four comes out, and you just kind of, you're seeing, like, the heart of the story, like you're saying. Um, you've brought fucking Dream into this story, um, and then now we're finally starting to see Carter Hall in all of his glory, right? Is is the yeah. things that you've been p- putting in this story and the things that you wanted, was there ever a moment when, you know, you're pitching this or you're talking about it, and, like, Dan DiDio says, Scott, you know, I know what you want to do, but I don't think you could do all this, you know? <laughs> and is there <laughs> Yeah, he actually, yeah, he told me it should be two events, actually. When I I pitched it, I don't know if I told you this, but when I first pitched it, he thought it should be split over, like, two years and be, like, two separate events, two parts, like, Mm. two. And um, I just, and it's, you know, I don't think that he's wrong in terms of it could easily be a 10-issue series or whatever, but it's, um, and, you know, there are days that I worry that it's it's overly compressed in that way, but I think with Lost and with Wild Hunt, um, I'm, I'm really confident that we'll, we'll pull it off in the right way, um, and I'd rather it feel compressed and crazy and more than your money's worth than feel decompressed, so, um, but yeah, he wanted it to be, or he suggested at least that it was like two, almost two six-issue things, mm. And then I just didn't want it spread out that long. You know, I didn't want it. Would that have yeah. been in secession, or would there have been stuff peppered in between, like time in between? I, you know, we didn't even get that far, because I was just like, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, it, what's, what's also great about this whole event is we're only on issue four, and it yeah. feels like um, another thing that we wanted to, men- what I wanted to talk about with you is we've gotten so many amazing fucking one-shots and tie-ins to where the book, the main book is fantastic, obviously, and you want to read it, right? But there's so much going on also in the tie-ins and the one-shots that helps flush out moments that, like you say, maybe would be too much for the main title, Mm -hmm. but it's so well done on the outside of the main title that this is the first time in a long time where we've discussed how great some of these books are on their own. And how, like, when you're normally picking an event book, you know, and someone's coming into the comic shop and you're like, hey, like, what should I read? Oh, you just just read the main title metal. Just read. No. If every person that's asking me what to read, every person that's asking Robin at his shop what to read, we're saying get everything that has the metal metal banner. Because it's so We really, we're really proud of that, man. We, you know, I'm very, very proud of the teams, what they were able to do. And I think a lot of it was giving them enough room to, to... 
to shine, you know, without dictating too much. And then we did, we rewrote some stuff, you know, to make it fit what mm-hmm. we were doing continuity wise with the event on their, ble- with their blessing, you know, mm-hmm. um, but we worked really close together and we wanted each component to feel again, like you were getting more than your money's worth. I mean, the, the biggest fear I had going into doing an event, honestly, was all of the things, the math of an event is negative. Like it feels like you're asking people to pay for an extra thing mm. that they're worried is going to change shit. They already like, and it's going to cost all this money because it's going to interrupt stuff that they are reading. I mean, the, you start, it's an uphill battle, you know, and that's, I was tweeting stuff. that's like, you know, making fun of event comics before we started, just cause I was, I was fatigued just reading all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, agreed. But then, but you know, so the goal was to make it feel like each part, none of it was absolutely quintessential to the main title, you know, but if you read it, you'd get pieces that were exciting and different and additive without being, um, you know, without being, uh, forced down your throat. So it was, we, they were, very, you know, Dan and, and and Jim and them were really very, very smart and very responsive about that, you know, because mm. the first thing they said was we want to make sure it's restrained, you know, and it wasn't because they didn't think they could sell more. I mean, that's the thing, dude. I mean, I, I'm looking at these things like, so I got this thing from sales this week, you know, um, and I knew metal one and two had sold out and I knew a bunch of the one shots, but Every single book is sold out, you know, uh, one, two, three, all of the one shots made it into the top 10 and sold out. Um, so some of them aren't listed yet, like the Batman who laughs, but that sold out easily. And, you know, the, 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 so the, the, um, support that you guys and fan, I mean, fans have shown this thing, it's so overwhelming to everybody on the team and to DC that they're really, we're really grateful, dude. Our whole goal is to just keep it up. And that's why, I mean, Dan, I'll, like for all of the shitty, um, you know, uh, sort of things that can go on in comics with price gouging and all of that stuff, Dan was very good about, you know, the last issue is 50 pages long, um, Metal 6. It's 34 pages of Greg and then like uh, 32, something like 30 whatever pages of Greg and then another 15 or whatever pages of um, of, of codas with all the artists that have been on other tie-ins and stuff like that. And the codas, it's like one story. It's not like preview stuff. It's like the heroes reconvene if they survive, you know, and talk about you see what's coming because of what happened in Metal, like the engines that spin forward. Um, and that's four ninety nine. You know, that easily could have made that six ninety nine, which is a fifty page book at this point for an event or five ninety nine for a thing, but they want they and I just bring it up because I just point being DC is extremely, extremely grateful, all of us involved, for um the support that, that people are showing to this event, to Doomsday Clock, to Batman, to Aquaman, to Detective, to all of it. Mm. So we're trying to pay it forward and make sure that you guys feel embraced by the stuff we're, we're, we're pitching. And, you know, metal does really, um, it ends with a big bang and it, it has a lot of, uh, story threads that spin out. Um, it doesn't change, like it doesn't radically change things in ways that are inorganic. Like I'm not out to kill Batman or to do something (laughs) stupid to your favorite character that makes them gone for a year. None of that. (laughs) What it does do is the characters, um, experience things in metal, do things, magic things that they use, 
we worked with every writer involved in the series going forward to make sure that they had hooks coming out of metal that surprise you as a reader, but allow those writers to do the things they've been wanting to do in their own series. If you read metal and then you go to the books that are affected by it, you feel like it's just, wow, that just rolled right in and it's big new story and this stuff and new series spin out of it. And then if you didn't, it doesn't feel like, well, I got gypped. I didn't read metal. You can still read Flash Forward and be like, oh, it just explains what thing caused this. Okay, well, I'm good. But the um, the thing I was getting at was that metal ends um, in March and sets the stage for everything coming in summer. So it spins story out um, for multiple things. For um, see, I, I just can't spoil anything, so I'm trying to hedge what I say. But mm-hmm. for series, it spins out into certain books. It spins out new series. It spins out all kinds of stuff. But more important than any of the tangible series and stuff it spins out, um, something happens in it that also creates a spirit that we're going for in DC, like a, a, like a figurative sort of thing uh, that – we really want to uh, reflect why we changed the label, like the logo and all of that stuff. So our goal is really simple. It's like if Rebirth was about bringing back classic, then DC Universe, the new like title and the stuff that's on all the books, is about using that love of classic to blast off into new places and to show you how this universe, the DC Universe, is so much bigger and nuttier and wonderful and scary than you expected. So... 2018 will be about that from what Bendis is doing to what we're doing to what, you know, all the new books, all that stuff are about. It's about honoring all the classic, making sure you guys know we love that stuff as much as you do and it's there and it's intact and now taking you to places that go beyond the boundaries of what you thought the series could do. So, you know, and, and carries forward metal and I'm trying to put my money where my mouth is afterwards too and do something in that spirit too. So I'm really, really excited about summer and fall. Speaking of the uh, aftermath of uh, metal, I don't know if you can speak on this or not, but I've been a big, uh, a big fan of metal so much. Like maybe after like the Dark Knights were introduced, I was already asking like if we were going to get solo series of them, or if they were going to stick around after metal, or if we were going to get like something more going forward with them, or is this going to be like a one shot thing until like maybe years down the road? No, well, I know it looks like, I mean, Batman Who Laughs might be sticking around. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, Say no more, fam. His, his, where do you see, he released that center stage again in five and six. It's really fun. Where the six has the best fight. Um, yeah. I just love, it's just like him and Batman picking up crazy weapons, and it's really Aww. fun. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. You know, uh, now, yeah. we, we talked about uh, all the different things, the different components of metal that, how they weren't necessary, but if you did read them, it would augment the series itself. And that, uh, that, that was a big part of all the one-shots for all the different Dark Knights. Now, in those, we got each character's backstory in addition to a little bit more of the, the events that were currently happening in Metal. Now, as far as those backstories for each character, how much of those did you come up with uh, as part of as part of metal, you know, having having backstories for these characters that that you were using in the story, and how much of those were done by the the writers that were doing each of those issues? Um, well, the stories themselves, like the basic bones of the stories, I came up with. So, for example, like Devastator, right? I'd be like, well, what if 
you know, this is about Batman's fear that he's become soft by becoming friends with characters that could be hugely threatening to the earth if he's not careful. So his friendship makes him weak. Therefore, what we need is for him to do a story where um, in this world he suffers that terrible loss where Clark is either taken over or something happens and he never knows what happens to Clark, but the Clark goes bad. And um, the only thing that he, he can use to stop him is to turn himself into a doomsday monster. And then he winds up essentially destroying everything on the planet. So I'll come up with that much of it and say, so that's the basic or with, with um, Batman and laughs is the only one that I really I mean, I, I worked really hard on that with James and all that. He could have done it. I mean, he would have knocked it out of the park himself with Riley, but he wanted me involved too because that's, you know, that one was, was my baby too. So I, I I didn't want any writing credit or any of that stuff, and James, you know, knocked it out of the park and all that. But um, mostly what I would do is is what I just said with Devastator, like, you know, uh, with uh, the um, uh, Murder Machine, for example. I was like, well, this one is about Batman's fear that he um, – loves his family or too much and that if he if alfred were to die he would try and find a way to keep him around in the bat cave and we've even used this idea of the alfred protocol before it's in some of the stuff i've done with greg and it's in the thing with sean and um the idea that he uploads alfred's consciousness to the computer and then the bat computer is like alfred so i was like well the story is what if he does that and then the first thing the alfred protocol would do is do anything to protect batman so it would kill all the villains and then if heroes tried to take it down, it would kill all the heroes. So I'll say that's that's what happened. And then it would take him over and make him invulnerable and an extension of its and use itself to be a weapon for him and rebuild him to be merciless. So I'll say that. And then I'll say we need it to be a cyborg story. So can you figure out a way of having it be cyborg, you know, in the watchtower trying to figure this out as this happens, intercutting with that. So and then from there, they'll they'll take it and run with it. So the the origins were, you know, I kind of came up with the origins, but then the finesse and the artistry to it and the ways that they were executed, all credit to the teams. It's amazing, too. And <clears throat> I think in doing in doing so, you've created characters that, you know, maybe you who knows how long you kind of at first envisioned them lasting. But uh, fans are not letting go of them. And uh, yeah, they're, they're been, wanting them. <laughs> and I don't know, I've actually just, D, I just DM'd you on Twitter if you want to check them out, but this is kind of just an example of what these characters have kind of done to fans and how much they've, like, grabbed a hold of them. But um, <laughs> the first, awesome. first one is uh, the one that we shared. We kind of posted about it, but there's this guy named uh, Rob's Creature House who... Yeah, I yeah. saw I saw this. He tweeted this to me. The, it's yeah. a, it's a, a custom figure he's made, it's like right? like a hot toy. It's like a one-sixth custom Batman who laughs. Super detailed. Oh, it's crazy! Yeah, Show him the Prime One prototype. Oh, did you have you seen mm-hmm. that? I don't. There's I don't a know. there's a there's a fourth scale statue coming out of uh, the Batman Who Laughs, which is highly detailed by a company called Prime One Studio. <clears throat> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, he's. I mean, there's so much potential for him. I wish I could use him. He's. He, I mean, he's he's really front and center for five and six. Like he's the big yeah. bad for, throughout. But I mean, um, I'd love to use him again. I mean, because he's he he and Joker and Batman are this kind of perfect triangle in a way where it's almost like if you, if you sort of follow Joker's thinking through and Joker's like, kill me, kill me, kill me, you know, and that way he wants to become this better, this bigger thing with Batman. And then Batman 
should he be become this Batman who laughs? Like the idea is that he has all of Batman's cold calculating uh, uh, psychology. So he would plan for anything that you have, you come at him with and, you know, he's not chaotic. He's not, you know, wild. He's very, very clean and cold and mean. He only laughs when it's finished. You know what I mean? So he's just, it's different, totally different than the Joker to me. And it was interesting writing him because that was one of the few things I had to really pull people writers back on was whenever he appeared in the one shots or the crossovers, they always wrote him really arch like the Joker, you know, and I had to always be like, no, 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 it's Bruce. Imagine Bruce evil. Like, you know, he doesn't make jokes and he's not making a lot of puns and that stuff, you know, maybe one in a blue moon because there's Joker in his head too, but it's, he's Bruce. It's like if Batman was evil and was coming to kill you, <laughs> like that's what's scary about it to me. It, it's, and it's, there's another picture that like kind of almost perfectly encapsulates that, that I saw that I was like, Oh my God, this totally nails like what I think of when I think of the Batman who laughs. And um, there's this uh, guy named Chad Heinrich who mm-hmm. um, he made like a, a, like a homage piece. Of, oh yeah. From the Batman, the end of death of the family. Yeah. yeah. When he's like dancing with like a bloody <laughs> bat suit. And I remember thinking, I was like, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Like when I saw, when I read the one shot is that there's that image, that romanticism yet kind of like evil is exactly what that character kind of like feels like. Oh yeah, he's he's believe me, he's uh, he's a blaster, right? And I, I, they're already everybody wants to use him and stuff now at DC. Yeah. So he has, <laughs> there's there's already plans for him, but I have plans for myself you're actually. Like, <laughs> just, yeah, you're like hold on yeah, a second, he, I'm not done with him yet. Yeah, he yeah. he took off as soon as the first images of him hit the internet. Like by by the time he appeared in a comic book, he was already the hottest character of the year. <laughs> it's uh it's crazy that he's uh he's definitely like one of the scariest creations i For think sure. i've i've ever done because he's again he's just like there's no limitation to his darkness that's you know joker is still sort of obsessed with batman but he's and it's interesting because i always think of joker as this kind of predator that you 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 send at somebody and then he will stop at nothing to kind of make that person recognize their own weakness and then bring that person down. But he's really only focused on Batman, you know, at least in our run in any kind of big way. But Batman who laughs is that predator. It's like you set him at anybody and he just calculates a terrible trap for them. And he has no obsession. He has no, no, um, none of Joker's, you know, kind of um, myopic nearsightedness about Batman. He's just the coldest, Mm. cruelest thing. You know, he's he's a true monster. Did you think at any point that he would be as big as he's become? No, I didn't think any of this would be as big as it. Like that's so crazy. I I, I thought I literally thought. I mean, I was just hoping metal would sell decently because I had such a good time on it with Greg, and I was worried about us coming back and not you know breaking a hundred thousand if Batman sold at a hundred thousand. I just wanted to do something we both loved, and I thought that it was going to be like so out there in a way that it would be just our thing, you know? And I, I was hoping that it would do well. And I knew that, you know, we had plans to connect it to the DCU, but I didn't, for all I knew, all the, the one shots would flop and people would be like, you know, they wouldn't want any of it. And so the fact that they, the gamble and, and DC was again, like at first they were very like, you know, um, 
not in some mean way, but they just, they poked it a lot and were like, you know, it, it's untraditional, it's wackier, it's, you know, wilder in different ways. And that stuff, you know, I was really nervous because I was like, maybe I'm screwing up. Maybe I'm, maybe this is wrong. But I was just like, this is what I feel is right in my gut for me and Greg to do. And what feels true to what the, st- the story is about, the craziest cosmic you know, bonkers comics getting you through hard times, not because they're escapist, because they're about the things that you're going through. And I wanted to feel that way and go starro, you know, nuts. And, um, you know, the fact that it's done as well as it has, is just, again, you know, I've said it about when we were working on Batman and we tried to go personal, you know, and, and make it, you know, something that was really organic to us, even when we went, you know, far left of center and did stuff like Gordon and whatever, people followed us and kept the book where it was. The fact that they followed this and made it the kind of phenomenon that it's been, I mean, it's this huge inspiration because not just for sales and that stuff, but because it makes you realize that when you do the stuff that feels right to you in your gut, even if it's not quite on, um, not conventional or not quite what the company thinks is going to, you know, hit as hard as it can, um, you know, fans follow you and that it means the world. I mean, we have the best, I seriously believe like we have the best fans out there, period. You know, like I, that's why I, I love going to con. I go to too many cons. I go to, I sign, you know, we sign, Greg and I, we sign for free, all that stuff. Like, but it really is like, um, just thank you, you know, cause yeah. you let us do these stories that really do matter to us and that, that we love, um, getting to work on together. And, you, you know, you keep us in business that way. And it's just, I really can't say thank you enough to everybody picking it up and making it that crazy kind of a sellout. The flip side of that though, is that now you can't stop doing it because we want (laughs) more stuff. Like I want an ongoing series of Dawnbreaker. Yeah. I love There is a lifetime of stories that, that his backstory jumps from young boy, Bruce with the ring being a young dick after he kills Joe Chill to the point where adult Batman, yeah, he takes out Gordon and he (laughs) obliterates Penguin in orbit and then he takes out the Green Lantern Corps. There there are years of stories in between. Mm. I would love, believe me, I would love that, you know. I mean, again, our feeling with metal was just try and give you guys more bang for your buck with each thing than possible as opposed to dragging anything out or giving you a more diffuse kind of design for it. So it's really, there's a lot that we had to leave behind that I wish we could have um, done more with, you know, like I, I would have loved to do a whole mini arc on the Batman who laughs and everything. Mm. He was, Maybe we he, can get an extended Blu-ray cut. Yeah. Well, they're doing <laughs> the trades. The trades are fun. They're doing like one. The first one is just me and Greg. It's like they're just cutting it really to the bone for the hardcover. And then they're going to do a paperback that has Lost and um, and Wild Hunt and I think Forging Casting in it, too. So it's it's going to have kind of the complete thing. And then they're going to do a big one that has everything in it, yeah. like all of the tie-ins and everything like that and the tie-ins obviously will be sold as separate trades if you want to so this will this will need an absolute or like a gallery no like get well, yeah, like an absolute or like a uh, an omnibus where it's just i'll got... take i'll take all three <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, i'd love to do i look i mean this is it's been the most fun i've ever had i mean all-star was when i was doing all-star i was like oh, this is the most fun i'll have because it's so mine and then this has been even more because it's it's you know it's nerve-wracking and it's a lot of pressure but it's also like it's me and greg being like 
you know, when I was like in issue six at one point, Batman, I think I've told you, but he like, he, he jumps on the Joker, dra- one of the Joker dragons and he's like riding it. <laughs> he's like, yeah. You know, and it's like flying through Gotham, whatever like that. And I was like talking to Greg the other day and I'm like, well, it's coming at him. And I think he just kicks it in the face and then grabs it. And he's like, no, he grabs its tongue and like fucking punches it in the eye and gets on it. I was like, whatever you want. Go for it. Like that's, that's our job. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's pretty wonderful that that's what we get to do. So it, it has been the most fun experience of my life. This, this one easily work wise. So I'm really hoping to just kind of carry that forward with both the next project that I have. And then what I'm doing with Greg's the next project, all of it. So yeah, well, it's definitely reignited my, my love of like, um, bonkers, you know, lunatic comic storytelling. Um, but you know, then I, I want to shift. I don't want to just keep doing metal. I want, I think the thing I'll take from it is the scope and the, the majesty of the sort of DC universe and how incredible it's been to touch all these different corners and explore all these different corners and then try and use that, um, in a way that's still fun, but maybe doesn't need to be as compressed and explosive as an event, you know, in some ways, I don't know. We'll see. Before we, uh, before we run out of time with you here, uh, we should try to finish uh, covering the the events of Metal Issue 4. So, Where we were last actually talking about it, uh, Dream had just plucked uh, Batman and Superman from where they were at the Battery. And they, uh, they find themselves in the library with Daniel, and he explains to them what the library is and tells them what his limitations are of how much he can help them, and tells them that he can tell them a story. Yeah, and then he tells them... That part I was really nervous about because it was, it's us really rewriting or adding to the creation myth of the DCU, you know? Um, so it, it, what he tells them essentially is that, you know, the DCU is born in darkness and then as it's split uh, into sort of the realm of, of positive matter and negative matter or antimatter, dark matter stayed and that Barbatos he tells the sort of legend of Barbatos, which is that they're down in the darkness. There's a world forge and the world forge feeds the world Ori and grant stuff. And the world forge sort of is all of our fears and hopes um, materialized in these different planets. And the ones that are stable and collective sort of go up into the Ori and the ones that are transient sort of are meant to be destroyed um, by this beast called the, the Barbatos. The world forger is there to sort of, um, concretize any of the worlds that are actually going to make it up into the multiverse. And so this, this animal, this, this creature, Barbatos essentially becomes jealous and envious of his, his master, the world forger and kills him. And now, uh, ever since then, the world forge has been going dark and only producing or letting all these worlds that are, are nightmares sort of, um, uh, harden and, and exist longer than they should. And so, uh, it's, it was, easily one of my favorite parts to write and to see Greg visualize this kind of beautiful constellation. Um, but it was also, it's, it's, it's nerve wracking because it's touching some of the real, um, you know, sacred keystone stuff of the DCU's creation myth. But we hope that what we were doing is really just adding to it and in no way, um, stepping on anything that already exists. So, I really, I love that section and I love, there is a world forger and it is a character and, and, you know, you might, we might be doing stuff with that character soon too. So, so well, uh, by the end of the Batman Superman story in this issue, we see 
uh, they arrive at the World Forge, but find out that they may be too late because the Forge has already gone dark, and they do meet the dragon, uh, the, the dragon of Barbatos that is there to defend the Forge, and that is now Hawkman. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is, they finally find Carter Hall, and, and he went in there with all this optimism, believing that the dark was not a place of evil. And instead, what he found was that it, it had become that, and now the forge is dark, and he's keeping it dark, and there seems to be no hope, no way of turning it back. So the heroes are kind of stranded at the ultimate um, sort of engine of all nightmare, and there seems to be no way out. So we wanted to kind of leave it on a in a place that seems pretty bleak, and grim, <laughs> but um, that's Carter Hall. Yeah, Greg did a bunch of. I, I love that design. He's sort of this big bird kaiju, you know. So we'll get our big war of birds and bats coming. Oh my oh, god! Oh shit! Um, Scott, one thing that I want to thank you for that I'm pretty sure we've done it before, but I, I'm never going to stop thanking you for it. All the suits and all the different character designs have led to some amazing figures. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah. Which are adorning my uh, shelf. <laughs> and um, I'm still hoping that we get some stuff from All-Star and definitely going to have to see some of these Nightmare Batman um, and this Carter Hall figure. Um, that Shazam looked fucking awesome. So Yeah, they, they have some, and they, what do you see? Six has some really good ones. So I think they're planning on doing some ones from issue six. It's good. There's a lot of, a lot of craziness in that one when the heroes all get together and you get like your big, your big finale. So I'm excited. Is uh, the aftermath of metal, is that going to lead into the Lemire Hawkman run or does that have nothing to do with it? No. And, you know, I don't, and that what's happening with Hawkman series wise hasn't been announced yet. So there's still some fluidity there. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't really uh, feel totally comfortable um, speaking to what they're planning on doing, but there are plans for Hawkman after, I think they're going to be really exciting. And, um, and, uh, we're setting a lot of it up, yeah. So there's, but not just for him, for Kendra also. Kendra plays a really big role after Sweet. metal. Sweet. Yeah, and so a lot of it has to do with what she discovers about why she was, why she was um, sort of so connected to the dark multiverse and to Barbatos and all that stuff, and whether or not she and Carter are much, much more sort of um, ancient than she she knew. Anyway, there's it. it I like for me. Four, five, six, and Wild Hunts are my my favorites. You know, I mean, I I certainly love one and two, and and the reason I keep coming on and saying things like, "Well, I really love this one, and it's my favorite." Is I I, I genuinely believe the event gets better as it goes because there was still as much as I love number one, and you know, I was nervous, and it's a lot of setup and that stuff, and I mean, I I, I wouldn't change anything about it. I love it the way it is, but um, you know, there's just there's there's such pressure to just set everything up, and now that we're going, I can actually get the characters to these crazy places. So I love these issues very much. I love these are my, the, these are my, the one, these are the my one character, the one character I'm, I've been hoping you would introduce at least by issue six is a sword wielding child that twirls in circles. <laughs> yes. My own son. Yes. He's, it's so funny. He's so laid low lately. He hasn't been defensing in like over a week. Cause he's sick and it snowed and, so he's uh, he's just he, he's such a sad sight when he's sick. I posted a picture of him the other day, like he was lying on the couch, like a little worm. But he's uh, he hasn't spun in days, so hopefully tomorrow we'll get up and 
he'll be back to full power. Tonight he was funny. I took him to Toys R Us just to give him a treat because he's, you know, down. And my other son was still sick, so I was like, we'll bring you something back. And we got to Toys R Us, and he went through the door, and he did a couple turns. So I was like, okay. (laughs) couple spins. spins. Did he get some Lego Batman? Yeah, well, he got he has he has all the Lego Batman stuff already. All of them, huh? What's all he loves? That's his first. His Star Wars and Lego Batman are his like first big thing. So um, yeah, I told him he's getting into um, Imaginex. So oh, we yeah, went yeah. Up, um, Imaginex stuff. He got the um, the uh, uh, it was like a Mister Freeze Batman set. So have you I, have you have you checked out some of the Imaginex stuff? And oh, it's gorgeous. The, yeah, and they they have the the, the giant Robogord. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, that's yeah. on the end cap of Target. Every time I go in, I'm like, oh, my God. I wonder if Scott has seen this. This is nuts. I just saw it a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, wow, that is a that is like a supersized super version of that thing, which is awesome. So. The, and the rogues that they come out with, like, for Imaginex are insane. It's like um, there's, they, they go pretty obscure sometimes, too. So it's like, you don't get that with a lot of the other toy lines. So it's cool to see that, you know, they're getting them started young with that stuff. But, yeah, they do some deep cut stuff. It's really yeah. nice to see. You know, so I'm really glad we got to talk this long. I was worried my kids would wake up, but they 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 gave me they gave me a good window here. Yeah. So before before you go, I got one question, Scott. Yeah. The um, Duke, right? The character you created. How wild is it to see a, like already a new take on him with Murphy? What he's done in his book. Oh, I love that dude. Well, Sean told me about it, and I was like, go for it. Um, yeah, Sean incredible and what he's doing with white knight is obviously um huge and i'm so proud of him but also i would be remiss if i didn't mention that um batman and the signal actually starts next month and yeah it's written by tony patrick um i help with the story but it's i really all credit to him and Kali hamner who's just who kills it on um, art and we got the initial numbers and uh you know i didn't I, I Dan called and I was like, Oh no, what's this is, he was like, I want to call you about the signal. And I was like, Oh God, here comes the bad news. That it didn't, you know, what if it didn't, it didn't sell or, but it actually sold almost double what they had hoped. It's wow. selling in the sixties, almost up to, yeah, the first one was almost, you know, 65,000 or something crazy. So, um, the fact that people are hungry for a new character, I think if you introduce them, you know, organically and you give them room to breathe. And hopefully what they're responding to is the fact that he has a different role. He's Gotham hero by day, Batman assigns him this, he's got a Juvie Arkham, all this cool stuff in the series that makes it unique to him Mm. as opposed to him feeling like just another Gotham hero at night or taking somebody's costume, you know, or whatever. Um, I'm really, really excited about it. So I, again, I just helped guide it. It really is like, um, this creative team, you know, Tony and Laura, the colorist and Cully. Uh, but um, just thank you guys for throwing support behind it. Everybody out there who's picking it up, but it, it'll be worth it. It really is a genuinely good book. So, yeah, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us. Every time you do, you always say you're going to come on for 15 minutes. It ends up being like two, two plus hours, man. So, <laughs> I know. you know, we, we don't, we don't want to keep you any longer than, than you can be with us, but we really appreciate all the time you spend with us, man. And, 
um, you know, you're easily our favorite guest. You know, we don't tell anybody that. Uh, no. We mean well. it, so. You're our best friend, <laughs> Scott Snyder, it. so we just need to uh, be very appreciative of it. And... No, I, lo- I love talking to you guys. Yeah. And again, I'm sorry. I hope I wasn't too um, you were perfect, uh, man. loopy or any of yeah. that. I'm honestly, I'm on very little sleep, and no, that's yeah. all. Well, well, we should let you go to get some then. But all right, Ooh. man. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Yeah, no, thank you guys. It's yeah. always a pleasure. And, and um, no, I super, I super appreciate it. And uh, yeah, let's do it again soon. All right, take care, guys. Have a good night, you man. Too. All right, you too. Take Bye. Care.